Father, I thank you for this opportunity to uh, talk about giving. Just briefly, just briefly. God, you're so generous. Lord, this is you, who you are. And you've shown your greatest generosity, not in our finances, but giving up your son, Jesus Christ, who gave up everything so that we could be rich, so we could be sons and daughters of yours. So, Father, prepare our hearts to worship you with everything we have, everything. Father, we thank you for providing for us financially. Thank you for every individual home unit that you provide financially. Thank you for providing for our church family. And Father, I pray as a church family, we'll experience greater joy. And this will increase our love for you, Lord Jesus. And that wisdom will cause our treasuring of you to grow even more. So thank you for this, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we preach through October, November, what stewardship, like, what does it look like to treasure you, Jesus? It'll become more clear. Father, I thank you that some of these finances have been used to, from our church family and, and, and our own individual finances have used to bless the nations. I thank you for Brother Ross Carey who's in Costa Rica right now, Lord. I pray, Lord, that he, you sustain him. I pray, I know that he has a full schedule. It's a rigorous pace that he keeps. And God, I pray for these seven students that he's pouring into that there will be much fruit. I pray the light will be, a uh, uh, light bulb will go off and they will understand more and more who you are. And I pray for great mentorship for Ross, for, for this teaching assistant that he has with him. Father, further your kingdom in Costa Rica through Brother Ross. So Father, we turn our attention to your word now, to your time to, to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that we will see your son, Jesus Christ, even more clearly. I pray your word will minister to our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. So thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a little bit, uh, share personally, it's been a kind of a challenging week for me and my family. Um, on Monday, we, we, uh, my father had to have emergency brain surgery, and we thought he had a stroke because his right side wasn't working very well, and uh, they took a picture of his brain with a CT scan, and the neurologist, no, we don't think he had a stroke. We think he had massive hemorrhaging in his brain, so uh, we, we have to get in there and, and, and operate on him tonight. What do you think? I'm like, what? What do you think? So thank God my brother and I were there. My mom, we prayed. Yes, please do it. I called some uh, medical friends. They go, no, that's pretty standard. It's a serious surgery, but this is what you got to do. And so, I mean, it's been a trying week in some ways. But this is my joy. We get to be here today. And like, like Paul said, Pastor Paul said, where else would we rather be? on the Lord's Day, but with, this, with the church family here. So we're going to be at John 13, 31 to 35, just a few verses today. But the context of John 13, 31 to 35 is this. It's the Last Supper. Jesus has instituted communion. Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples, taught them even once again what it means to be a servant. Judas is off to betray Jesus. It's, the plan is set in motion already, and it's a dark time. And Jesus is getting ready to tell the disciples, I'm leaving. I'm going to go die. And he has this new command that he gives to them. So let's rise. John 13, 31 to 35. We have a lot of great context. So Pastor Dan and Pastor Victor did a great job the last week's preaching on Christ's love. We're still talking about the love of Christ. Verse 31. Therefore, when he had gone out, when Judas went out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. 
If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Verse 33, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 34, we'll focus a lot on these two verses. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Finishing up. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is good. Thank you for the topic of today. It's a new commandment of love. I pray this will be very clear to us. Thank you, Lord. May we treasure Christ more through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Verse 31 and 32 says, now. This is like a big transition. Judas has gone out. Now the first domino has fallen. Judas has is, uh, is, uh, is been captured by Satan. He's off to betray Christ now. That first big domino has fallen, and now it's a chain reaction that's going to happen all the way up to the cross. So Christ is troubled. Therefore, it says, now, now is the Son of Man to, is going to be glorified. Now I'm going to die. I will be glorified. I am going to go back to heaven, but before that, it's going to cost me to go to the cross. I have to die before I resurrect and return to my full glory. The same glory as the Father. The same glory I had in heaven for eternity past. This is where Christ is saying, I am going away. And he said, you can't come with me. Verse 33 says, little children, little children. Right? There's a tenderness that Christ shows, like a, little children, we're family. And as I think to myself, I, I studied the other Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels. In Luke 22, it gives a clearer reaction to Jesus' statement, like, hey, I'm going to go away, I'm going to die. How did the disciples, the 11 disciples, react? Luke 22, 24 says, they're arguing amongst themselves, who's going to be the greatest? Right? It's just as if, like, if I'm at my dad's bedside and, you know, and he's recovering, but if it wasn't turning out that way and we knew he had few hours to live, and he goes, hey, Haruki, that's my Japanese name, you know, I'm going to die here pretty soon. What if I say, Papa, who's your favorite son? Right? It's like, what? <laughs> what? I mean, it's, it's kind of like, nah, did you hear what I said? So I, in some sense, I see Jesus say, little children, come on. Come on, what are you fighting about? Come on. And any of us who are parents understand what that's like, right? Come on, guys, what's going on? What's going on, right? What's going on? It says, little children, I am with you a little while longer. Don't waste your time talking about that mess. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. To the Jews who aren't believers, you're not going to be able to come with me. And this might be goodbye. For the, for the disciples, it's not a goodbye. It's to see you, see you later. We'll, see, we'll be in eternity together. And therefore, I believe Jesus gives a command to get their minds right, get their heart right. Verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give to you. Now, 
this word command, this is not a suggestion. This is not Jesus saying, hey, let me give you the, a suggestion how Christians should act. And I'm telling you, I'm charging you, I'm mandating you, I'm commanding you. This is how you're to be. This is not a suggestion, brothers and sisters. This is a command. This is a charge uh, from the king, from the general, from the highest official. This is what you're supposed to do. Now, now it's, but it says a new command. All right? doesn't say that. A new command. How is this a new command? All right? In the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 18, it says, love your enemies. All right? God says, love your enemies. I mean, love your neighbors. Excuse me. Love your neighbors. Love one another. That's not a new command to love others. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus says, don't, ju don't just love your neighbors, but love your enemies too. So how is this a new command? That's what we're going to focus in on today. Why is this a new command? Point number one. We have four points to why this is a new command. And you, this is a new standard of love. Jesus gives us an absolutely new standard of love. Right, as he talks to the disciples, he says this, a new commandment I give to you, comma, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Even as I have loved you. Jesus gives us a brand new standard. And, and as Pastor Dan, two weeks ago, did an awesome job clearly preaching what a servant love looks like. He is the master. He is the creator of the universe. He gets down. He's the last one in that room that should have washed anybody's feet, but there he is washing the feet. A love that costs, a love that's humble, a love that's expensive, a sacrificial love. We had a clear picture of what that was like two weeks ago. Last week, Pastor Victor talked about an unnatural love. Who in their right mind will pursue their enemies who's going to betray him to death? Who in your right mind, if you knew you're going to be betrayed, are you going to engage him as friend and, and look to honor him at the, at the Last Supper? Who in their right mind would do that? This is a very unnatural thing. But Christ was appealing to Judas. Hey, are you sure you want to do this? I'm going to give you another chance and another chance. Repent. You don't have to do this. He walks into betrayal with openness. That's an unnatural love. So Christ shows us a whole different standard of love, Right? And he redefines what love is. The world would say love is transactional. What does that mean? If I do something for you, you give it back to me. It's a transaction. It's a business deal. Where Christ says love is sacrificial. You just do it. The secular world does not think this way. All right? The world says love is about emotion, how I feel about you. All right? But Christ says it's, it's love of the will. It's about commitment. I am going to love you no matter what. No matter what. Love of the world says it has to make sense. Love of Christ says, you know what, it's unnatural. <laughs> it's not going to make sense to people why you do what you do. This is the word agape. This is the highest form of love in the Bible. This is the word that uh, John uses in the original language. Agape love, many of us have heard it. Agape love, by, according to a commentator, is best characterized by self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. And one of my friends asked me, you know, you know, you had a busy week. Did you have time to prepare for the sermon? And, and you know, I had time. Thank God for computers and, and laptops. All my books are on the computer and all that stuff. So I had time. But you know what? God was giving me a seminary through what was going on with my father, you know. And um, 
You know, last week we were in that little corner with a shepherd's meeting, all the branch shepherds and us and Pastor Kenny met. And I gave a little talk, and I'm grateful for these brothers and sisters leading. And I talked to them and said, you know what, you know if I don't get to preach a message, the fact that I'm in John whatever is cutting me up all week. It's sanctifying me. It's absolutely sanctifying. The best part of the sermon is happening throughout the week for me. I hope you guys get something out of it. For me, it's working. And, and, and God is working on my heart. The work of the word is happening. But really, a sermon is just simply you put a hose to my heart. And how is the word being applied by the spirit is really coming out. So I want to kind of share it with you. So Monday, I'm at the Starbucks. And, and I got up early. I want to study, get a good chunk of study. I get a head start because it's, it's a holiday. And, and the children are home. Let me, we're going to do something in the afternoon. You know, I had all this planned out. I don't know how this works for you guys, but I get a phone call. I'm at the Starbucks. I'm getting into, I'm reading probably John 13, 35, a new commandment to love one another. And <laughs> I get this call. It's my mother, right? And, and, and what's been happening is, you know, my dad's getting weaker and weaker. So she calls me for things. And I'm like, ah, do I even want to answer this? Right? I don't know if you guys can relate. Some of us who are caring for people, like, you're like, ah, I know this is going to be a long talk. or ah. So I go, yeah, I got to do it. I call, I, I'm, I, so I put a pause on my studies. I listen, hey, he goes, hey, Papa fell down. I can't get him up. Could you come by right now and help me? I'm, I'm, and I'm like, okay, I'll be there. But in my mind, can you like get it done? Like, why, do I really have to come? I'm studying on what it means to love. <laughs> I got to preach a good sermon, Ma. Don't you know that? What do you, why do you have to call me now, right? Can't you call my brother? I don't think he's preaching. I mean, that's going into your heart. I mean, that's like, well, God has started to like cut me up right there. Like, are you serious? You think you're studying on love. You're reading on love. You're going to preach the thing to the people. And meanwhile, that's what's going on in your heart. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I repent and I, I drive. Hopefully my mom couldn't see, hear it in my voice. So, but I get there and like, oh, shoot. I'm like, oh, thank God I'm here. I'm picking him up. He couldn't walk. I'm like, this is serious. And it was one of those things, and so we had we take him to the hospital. And that's just kind of a picture how the Word does its work, you know, in your pastor's life and in your life. You have to be in the Scriptures. And then Scripture was just cutting me up. It's like, I don't love the way Christ is charging me to love. I could show up and do it dutifully, but I, there's something missing here. There's something missing here. So Christ, why is this a new commandment? Christ gives us a new commandment. It is a new commandment because he gives us a brand new standard of what love looks like. And he washed the disciples' feet. He, he, he uh, pursued Judas. But ultimately, that just, that's just a pointing towards the cross. The cross of Christ just radiates Christ's love at the highest level. All right? Point number two, why is this a new command? Who are we to love in this way? Like, this is, who, who's Jesus talking to right now? Think about it. Context, context, context. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the 11 disciples. He's not talking to the non-believers. The, the non-believers just left the door. He's talking to the, the disciples. Why is this a new commandment? Because it's a new fellowship of love. Hear me out now. Three times in these verses, I'm sure many of you have picked this up. 
that you love one another. All right? That you also love one another. All right, verse 35 now. If you have love for one another. Who is this one another? Three times it's talking about this. Yes, we're called to love people in general, believers and non-believers, but this is talking about the brotherhood, the sisterhood, stuff that we're saying right now. This is talking about fellow Christians. He even calls in verse 3, little children, we're family. This is called to love our own family. We're part of God's family. We're called to have a special love for the brotherhood and the sisterhood. Now, this whole one another uh, 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 phrase is, is littered throughout the New Testament. There's over 50, I counted them. There's over 50, maybe 54 to be exact, but over 50, just like missed one or two, over 50 occurrences in the, in the letters, in the New Testament letters, how Christians are supposed to relate to one another. This is about the brotherhood. This is about the sisterhood. How we're called to love it. It's about a new fellowship of love. The church never existed until Christ resurrected from the grave and boom, Pentecost happened. This is talking about the church, the love of the church. As Pastor Paul said, where else would I rather be than here? There's a genuine love that we have for one another. Let me give you some examples of the one another's. And as you start reading Paul's letters and Peter's letters, you'll notice them. Here's some. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Have the same mind with one another. Build up one another. Accept one another. All right? It says be kind to one another. Serve one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Admonish. That means warn one another. Forgive one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens. This is how we relate to one another. This is, a, this, is, this is like a special thing here. This is family. This is family. And I try to explain it to my children. It's like, well, I, I know you love, we call you to love everyone at the school, but don't you love your family in a different way? Absolutely. This is church family. But the greatest one another is love. If, God, if I got my count right ten times, it says God calls us to love one another. Ten times. From Peter to John to the author of Hebrews to, 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 uh, to Paul himself. And so ten times God uh, uh, emphasized love one another, love one another, serve one another in love, right? encourage one another to love. Right? It's, just, it's about loving one another. Now, I mean, are we supposed to love all men? Absolutely. Absolutely. It says, love your neighbor. Leviticus is not uh, done. All right? We are called to love one another, love our neighbors, but we have a special love for one another, the brotherhood and the sisterhood. I, I like how D.A. Carson makes sense of this. You know, this makes sense how you put it. D.A. Carson's a, a scholar, in particular in the book of John, and he writes this. It, it is not so much that Christians are to love the world less as they are to love one another more. That's an elevated love. Keep it the same. You're supposed to love the, the, your fellow neighbor who's a non-believer. You're supposed to call to love, absolutely, but elevated love for one another. Better put, their love for each other ought to be a reflection, hear this now, reflection of their new status and experience as the children of God, little children, Jesus said, reflecting the mutual love of the Father and the Son. Okay, this is, this is going to get cosmic right now. We have the same love that the Father and the Son share. We're part of that somehow. 
We are part of that Trinitarian love. The same love that the Father and Son and the Spirit share. We're part of that now. And this is the same type of love we're called to love. And I, I want to turn to book of Acts here, chapter 2. What did this look like in the early church? And perhaps I'll give you a picture of what it may look like today in our church today. What did this look like 2000? Acts chapter 2, 44 to 47. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. Let me just read here. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Finances were involved. This is not calling for communism or socialism in the church, but they're so generous. They're selling things to meet the needs of the brotherhood and the sisterhood. People were traveling from all around the world, and all of a sudden, boom, the, the, the church is born. There's a lot of foreigners in that area who are Christians now, and they're meeting the needs of these people who may be in need. Day by, verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, fellowshipping, Spending time worshiping together in the temple with one mind. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Sincerely loving each other. Sincerely, simply wanting to be with one another. Verse 47, praising God. They're praising God. And look what the effect had on the people around them. Having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, that's what it looked like in Acts. And I thought to myself, okay, what, what could this look like? What could this look like today, 2019, you know? And my mind and my heart was drawn to Seattle again. Oftentimes, my mind is drawn back to Washington and um, a lot of good memories, a lot of hard memories too. But in 2010, when God called our family to be in Seattle, it was a challenging time for me. God was sanctifying my heart humbling me, but well, one of the great encouragements being up there was almost, I don't know, months after we moved up, Charlotte's father, you know, dad, he, he, uh, he had kidney failure. Man, he's a big man, very active, you know, athletic guy, rowing guy, and all that. But he had kidney failure all of a sudden. I mean, he's on dialysis. That means that that, that, that a machine has to clean your blood because your kidneys, which normally clean your blood out, aren't functioning properly. I mean, so that was an encouragement. Okay, Lord, I could see why we're up here. This is a thank you for allowing us to be up because on, on our own, we probably wouldn't have moved up there, okay? First, I started at dialysis at the clinic, you know, three, three four days a week. And it's, it's miserable because, you know, you get cleaned, you feel pretty good, but as you get closer to that next cleaning appointment, you don't feel good. You just feel like the, in the dumps again. And you got to spend, I don't know, four or five hours being hooked up to a machine. And then they got the in-home care thing with a bunch of fluids lying around all their bedroom. They got, he has to get plugged into his machine, you know. It wasn't, as, I guess, as bad maybe perhaps because he doesn't have to leave the house, but still, same thing. You just feel active, man, just all of a sudden. And I thought to myself, man, I'm the son-in-law. You know, he gave me his daughter. I mean, maybe I should think about this a little bit, you know, about donating a kidney, right? 
And so I'm like, all right. So I go to the clinic, I don't know, after practice or something and, and get my blood uh, checked, you know, because it has to be a match. All right, think about this now, all right? All good things. But in my heart of hearts, I mean, what if this is a match? Right? <laughs> I said, Sherman, you know, my, one of my coaching buddies, I said, Sherman, I mean, I'm thinking about this, but I, I, I'm kind of scared here. I get it. I mean, you're giving up body parts here. I mean, this is unnatural, you know. He's a fellow brother, Sherman Smith. And uh, so we talked about it, and it didn't match. It wasn't a match, okay? But what was interesting is, I mean, as I thought about it, I'm thinking about, okay, I got four little kids. I got hopes and dreams and stuff. I'm in a kind of an active environment. What if someone runs into me? Like, what if I need the other kidney to work? I mean, think, you think of all kinds of contingency plans, right? Like, so you start thinking about this stuff, but meanwhile, one of his, uh, his uh, church members, uh, another brother named Tavi, like, feels led, gets his burning desire. God graces him to have this desire, because this is an unnatural desire. It is. It really is. And it's a match. And then he um, donates his kidney. And they weren't, like, as far as I know, prior, like, super close friends. I mean, they, but then, obviously, they become close since then, but... God moves into Brother Tavi to step up and absolutely change the quality of life for my father-in-law. Absolutely change his life. All right? I mean, it's almost back to normal. You know, there's medication and stuff, but I mean, that's what it was. And I think to myself, you know, as I get to know the church family, I got to know a couple of brothers in our church right now who have kidney failure. I talked to them, so they said, it's okay, I talk about this. They didn't put me up to it. This is my own desire. I mean, you got Phil Chu, the guy playing the bass back here, you know, and Ed Ting is one of our branch shepherds. We're going through, they know exactly what I'm talking about, even more, because I don't live it. I'm just describing my, my observances of what it was like. They know. They know. Who knows how they feel right now, physically? They know exactly what I'm talking about. Perhaps God will move somebody in our church family to say, you know what? This is the type of love I'm, I'm talking about. This is what Christ is moving me to do something like this. Would you consider getting your blood checked to see if you could perhaps be a match? I would, I, 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 I'm making an appeal in this way. This is not an obligatory thing. This is not a thing of compulsion. The Spirit has to grace you with this desire to do this. If perhaps you, you have this desire, or maybe even thought about it before I even brought it up, perhaps I'm confirming some of these thoughts and, uh, and desires that you may be having. See me. See one of these brothers, you know. But I just thought about this, you know. In Acts 2, 47, there, the people were praising God, but what was happening? They're having favor with all the people. And what was God doing? And the Lord, Christ himself, was adding to his body, to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Why is this a new commandment? Point number three, because it is a new witness of love. It's a whole elevated level of love where people are confused, like, whoa, that is unnatural. Something feels different with you guys. I am intrigued, the non-Christian would say. Verse 35, uh, uh, going back to John 13. By this, by this, how you love one another, not generally, but to one another, your brother, your sister, 
all men, all groups of people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Frederick Nietzsche is a German philosopher. I found this quote out, and uh, I must have heard it in a sermon before, so it must have stuck for me, but he says this, I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers look more redeemed. And one of the most obvious telltale is how we love one another. The Bible says right there, you want to look redeemed? Love one another sacrificially. Recognize the brotherhood, the sisterhood as being elevated even amongst other relationships that you have. It's a special thing. This is distinctly Christian. This type of thing, what I'm talking about, what the scriptures are talking about, is distinctly Christian. This is not normal. This is un unnatural. Apart from Christ, this is impossible. I mean, like I said, it's, it can't be out of obligation. You know, like I was teetering on obligation when my mom called me, right? So it's like, it can't be a sense of obligation or compulsion or pressure or coercion. On, whether it's giving money even, giving, giving to the church even, let alone giving a kidney. It can't be out of compulsion, right? That's not what we're talking about. If it's out of obligation or compulsion that only leads to bitterness, that only leads to resentment, You'll have the older brother syndrome from the, from the prodigal son, right? The older brother, look what I did for you, father. I've served you all these years. Where's my fattened calf? Where's my honor? Why do you honor my, our no good son of yours? That's the older brother syndrome. You don't want to be like that. Entitlement. I deserve this. I deserve honor. Where's my respect? This is not love. I mean, I'm just saying as a pastor, those are the things that I, I struggle with. All right, so you may be asking what I asked to myself, well, how do I get there then? How do we actually get to that level where I'm loving? Why is this a new commandment? Point number four, Christ gives us a new motivation of love. Christ, let me say that again. Christ gives us a new motivation of love. I'm going to go backwards a little bit. Let's go to uh, John 13, 23, verse 23. This is just, just stuck between my eyes here. Pastor Victor preaches, verse 23. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Who is this again? This is John, right? This is John, the disciple of love. This is John. He's calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this is, he's just basically describing his identity. He's basically describing, he didn't say uh, John, the son of Zebedee. His father's name. He didn't say John the Jew. He didn't say John the fisherman. He didn't say John the apostle even. He didn't say John any of those things. But he said he called himself the one who Jesus loved. That was his identity. That was his deal. All this other stuff might describe me, but Christ's love for him defined who he is. So at Evergreen SGV, our identity is not about our family last name. It's not about our ethnicity. It's not about our vocation or college or high school or school that we go to. It's not about that. It's not even what we do for him. John was an apostle. He, it's not even my identity as a preacher. It's not. I'm the one who's loved by Christ. 
Why did John think this way? I'm going to go to First John. Turn with me to First John in the back of the Bible. First John 4.19. It's nice when these guys write letters and you can kind of get into their mind in their head even deeper. First John 4.19. One verse. What was going on in John's mind and heart? Verse 19. Short verse. We love because he first loved us. Plain and simple. That illustration that we talked about, the kidney failure, it was life-changing. It, it, it helped mom out, it helped us out. We feel better about it, feel great about it. We could enjoy him more and all that stuff. But you know what? We, I, do not quite understand the blessing that dad feels. I wasn't there getting plugged in all the time. I wasn't there uh, feeling so tired I could get move my body around. I wasn't there as my other systems are being affected because I'm all out of balance. I'm not there. I'm watching, but I'm not there with him. He understands fully the power of the transplant. He had kidney failure because he understood and lived that condition. Now let's talk about our lives now. Do we understand we have soul failure? Do we understand that we are in worse condition than that before Christ saved us? Do we understand that we are sinners looking forward to the wrath of God someday? Do you think that, do you remember that? If you're a Christian, do you remember that? Do you remember how, how, how much of a dire situation you're on? Unless we think about these things, we won't understand the power of the cross and the power of Christ's love as much. We have to go back there constantly. Lord, this is what you did for me. We need to understand our former condition to appreciate what Christ has done for us. We're simple sinners saved by the love of God through Christ himself. And so this is what we're talking about. If you want to love the way, and, and, and as John writes, a new commandment I give to you, Jesus is saying that you love one another, even as I have loved you. There it is. Have you experienced the love that Christ has given to us at a deeper, profound level? If you're not a Christian today, you know you haven't trusted Christ. You're in that condition. You need a spiritual heart transplant through Jesus Christ. You need to do that today. Today's the day where you receive that treatment through the hearing of the gospel. Christ died for your sins. He paid for your sins on the cross and res resurrected three days later and is calling for you to be part of his family. Now, if you're seeing that, Rocky, I've already been through that already. The more we understand the love of Christ as he has done for us, as he says, it has a, not only a saving effect for those of us, but also more important, it has a sanctifying effect. It grows our love for him. And we become more like him. We're able to love like he's talking about here. A new commandment. Not on your terms, this is on Christ's terms. The song that we sang bef uh, before the offertory or the wonderful cross, that last line just gets me. It says, love so amazing. Do we understand how amazing God's love is? <laughs> so divine. Only God could love this way. It demands my soul. Demands. My life, my all, 
I mean, this charge of love is, is an impossible thing apart from, under, uh, apart from Christ. We understand this. I mean, as a redeemed man, I, I struggle. We all struggle in this. But the more we experience Christ's love, understanding where he's brought us from, duty becomes a choice. Obligation becomes pleasure. I have to do this becomes I get to do this. I get to do this for the king, for my fellow brother or sister. Oppression becomes freedom and joy. You become a slave into a child of God. What else would I rather do for the king but to serve him and love his body this way? What a privilege. What a privilege. Christ is our greatest treasure. He's everything, he, and not only that, he, he owns us. Give all of yourselves to him. Give every, he owns it anyway. He owns you anyway. Fully commit to loving Christ. Nothing else is going to matter. And I'm telling you, all the visits I've done in the hospitals, whether it's someone who's about to die or someone who has some massive treatment coming up, finances, that doesn't come up. Ball games, that doesn't come up. College rivalries or degrees, that doesn't come up. Fashion, that doesn't come up. Fitness, that doesn't come up. Those don't come up. I haven't had one of those come up yet prior to becoming a pastor, even right now. What comes up is Christ, eternity, and love for deep, meaningful relationships. That's what matters. That's what matters in the end. And Christ is saying, hey, little children, I'm going to be gone, but you know what? I'm providing you one another so you can support one another. He's with us by, by, the, by his spirit. The spirit of Christ resides in the believer, but we also have one another. And we're called to love one another at a deeper level. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for this uh, charge, Jesus. It reflects the Father's heart and I just thank you that you are able to uh, make it clear to us what this is about. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Lord, I pray by your grace that we will love your body. Well, in particular, the Evergreen Church family, SGV Church family, that we will love one. There will be a heightened awareness, a heightened level of love. Not because we will it to happen, but because we are more profoundly impacted by the love you have for us. For the love of Christ controls us, Paul writes, and I, and I thank you. I pray we would know this more. I pray every time we preach you, Jesus, we get a little bit more excited. I pray this has just become normal in our lives where I have to hear more about you, Jesus. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I want to know you more. Jesus, I want to become more like you. Jesus, I want to love the way you love. Jesus, my desire is to please you. Jesus, you are my life, I'm the one who's loved by you. So, Father, I pray a prayer of blessing over the church family here. I pray you elevate our awareness of who you are. Through the scriptures, I pray what was preached will be working in the hearts of the people, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the people will experience maximum joy being part of your body, being part of your family, being called the one who's loved by Jesus. I pray, Lord, that this would be an incredible blessing. And, Lord, I pray that we would just grow in our sanctification before you. We want to become more like you. 
Please bless the people here. And Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to preach. Your word is good. Your word is why we have conviction. Your word is true, Lord. We thank you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.